Hola mi gente. The moment you've been waiting for is finally here. My brand new book, Financially Lit, is officially out. And I can't wait for you to get your copy. Inside this book, I'm bringing you culturally relevant and relatable personal finance advice that will allow you to finally feel seen, heard, and understood. Whether it's the guilt you feel from being the first person to make it while members of your family are still struggling, or the way that financial trauma manifests itself in negative and limiting beliefs around money, Financially Lit is here to guide you through it all. Just a few years ago, it was almost impossible to find personal finance books written for first-generation wealth-building Latinas. We have been forced to navigate the complicated world of money with a bunch of money books written by old white dudes who don't understand what it's like for us first-gen kids. But that stops right here, right now. Inside Financially Lit, you will learn how to set boundaries with your familia, with your dinero, create and pass on generational wealth, diversify and increase your income, protect yourself from financial abuse, navigate the complicated relationship between amor and dinero, invest like a white dude or better, and so much more. You can get your hard copy and audiobook version of Financially Lit at financiallylitbook.com and make sure to join our email list so you can find out when I'm stopping in a city near you for the Financially Lit book tour. See you soon. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Tell me about the moment that the blog went from a hobby to a business, because I feel like for a lot of us, this shit happens completely by accident. You don't even know you're creating a business when you start this. At one point, I had issues with daycare and stuff like that. And I was very frustrated with my job because I was getting home really late all the time. And I decided to leave my job until I could figure out how to find a job that fit better for me to be able to care for my kids. I decided at that point, because I had already seen other people that were making money with blogging, I had no idea how they were doing it. I decided while I figure this job situation out, I'm just going to dedicate my time to try to see if I can make something happen with my website. So that's when I started to rebrand it, focus it on food blogging. And then I just started to do that for some time. I was doing contract work freelance on the side. I started focusing more time on my blog and being more intentional about actually making money with it. I still didn't know how to turn it into a business. I still didn't know how that was going to pan out and how that was going to work. But little by little, I started figuring out and I monetized my blog within three months of starting it. You're listening to Yo Quiero Dinero, a personal finance podcast for the modern Latina. I'm your host, Janice Torres, award-winning Latina personal finance expert. I didn't always have my financial shit together, but when I started looking for POC-friendly personal finance podcasts, I couldn't find any. And so Yo Quiero Dinero was born. On this show, I'll show you how to make dinero, how to keep your dinero, and most importantly, how to make it grow. Each week, I'm connecting you with the most brilliant minds in the world of money and business, so you can learn about investing, entrepreneurship, and building wealth. The best part? I'm dishing up all this knowledge with a sassy side of sazón. So if you're ready to be poderosa with your dinero, you've come to the right place. Let's dive in. 
Before we hop into today's conversation, I want to remind you to follow us on social. If you're loving this podcast and you want more community, you want to find out more about our events and all the stuff that we have going on behind the scenes, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, YouTube, Instagram, and everywhere else you love to hang out on the internet. If you're loving this podcast, please take a moment to leave us a review if you listen to us on Apple. It's the easiest way to share our podcast with people that you know and love, and it helps us get discovered by amazing listeners like you. So take a moment, leave us a review, share us with your friends and family, subscribe so that you never miss an episode, and make sure to check out our blog, YoQuieroDineroPodcast.com, where you can sign up for our email list and you'll never miss an episode. Plus, you get exclusive invitations to our live events, special discounts for our digital courses, and as always, our best personal finance tips and advice to help you be poderosa with your dinero. Thanks for listening. Now, let's get into the episode. Vanessa, welcome to Yo Quiero Dinero. So excited for you to be here. Hi, Janice. I'm very excited to be here. Absolutely. Okay, let's dive right in. For folks who don't know who you are or what you do, tell us a little bit about yourself. I am Vanessa Mota. I'm a food blogger that just published her first cookbook. <laughs> Which you guys can see right back here, The Dominican Kitchen. Congratulations. That's incredible. Thank you. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Okay. So let's dive right in because I know for me personally, you know, as a fellow food blogger, this was not ever part of my aspirations. I didn't even know this was a thing. I didn't even know that you could make a whole living out of this. So what was that journey like for you? How did you first discover the world of blogging? And then when did you actually decide to insert yourself into that world? Oh, that was many years ago. So I, my background is in public relations and digital marketing. And many years ago, around 2012, I want to say 2013, I started working at an agency and part of my job was to research bloggers. It was the new thing. It was becoming more popular. You know, the new form, this new form of media was kind of like popping up. And as someone in the public relations industry, like we started researching that and learning about bloggers and the influence that they started having on their communities. And I just started learning about blogging through that, right? I started meeting these people, seeing what they did. And before that, I was always a person that liked to take pictures of food. <laughs> you know, I, I kind of started learning more about food blogging and kind of like getting in that world because of my job. And then one day I had a blog that I had started in college. And one day I just decided that I was going to turn it into a full blog. And it was just a hobby. It was something that I started doing because I wanted to start sharing more Dominican food because there weren't any Dominican food resources and anywhere really, because there were no cookbooks or websites or blogs or anything like that. I mean, there was one and that's how I started. It was mostly a hobby, something that I did for fun because I just thought it was cute and a nice like about <laughs> it. <laughs> Same, sis, same. I remember growing up, there was only, and there still might be only one, maybe there's two now. There was, this was the Puerto Rican cookbook, Cocina Criolla. Everybody in my family has a copy of this. Now they have an English version, but you can tell this shit was written in like the 1960s, 70s. I'm like, half of these ingredients. Oh, 1954 is the original copy, okay? And not much has happened since then in the world of like published 
Puerto Rican recipes. And so that's literally why I started my blog as well, because it was just like impossible to find resources. And as a kid that was like living away from school, mom never wrote anything down from a recipe perspective. So I'm like, if I want to make this shit or if I want to teach somebody else how to make this shit, I need to write it down because it's un chin de esto, un poquito de esto. And I'm like, how the hell do you actually make that a replicable recipe? Exactly. So when I started my blog, I was actually learning how to cook. I did not know. I did not know how to cook that much. I learned how to cook when I was pregnant with my daughter slowly. And I had to do it with those type of instructions, kind of like calling my family members in the Dominican Republic. How do you make this? How do you make that? Because there were no resources. I've never, besides my book, I've never owned a Dominican cookbook because I couldn't find any. I got very frustrated when like my blog was growing and I wanted to expand and learn more and do more recipes. And I was looking for resources and I couldn't find any. So I was like, I guess I'm going to have to write a cookbook. <laughs> yeah, no big deal, right? <laughs> okay, so tell me about the moment that the blog went from a hobby to a business. Because I feel like for a lot of us, this shit happens completely by accident. You don't even know you're creating a business when you start this. Yeah, so... At one point, you know, I had small children. I had issues with daycare and stuff like that. And I was very frustrated with my job because I was getting home really late all the time. And I decided to leave my job until I could figure out how to find a job that fit better for me to be able to care for my kids. And I decided at that point, because I had already seen other people that were making money with blogging, I had no idea how they were doing it. I decided while I figured this job situation out, I'm just going to dedicate my time to try to see if I can make something happen with my website. So that's when I started to rebrand and make it focus it on food blogging. And then I just started to do that for some time. I was doing contract work freelance on the side and then I like started digital marketing and PR work or yeah and PR work exactly. So I started focusing more time on my blog and being more intentional about actually making money with it. I still didn't know how. I still didn't know how to turn it into a business. I still didn't know how that was going to pan out and how that was going to work. But little by little, I started figuring out and I monetized my blog within three months of starting it like that. So yeah, slowly and little bits, it was being monetized. And then once I saw the potential, I just started to dedicate more time to it. And I got a job and I was working full time, but I made sure that I still continue to grow my website and the community and all of that, because my goal was to be able to turn that into a full-time business. Mm. And how long did it take you to transition to full-time from when you first started the blog? A very long time, but mostly because I like what I did. I really enjoyed my job and it wasn't something that for me felt like I can't wait to leave, to stop doing it and to figure it out. So for a very long time, I was balancing both. And my job was in the same world. Like I was managing brand campaigns. I was doing influencer work from the brand side and influencer work from the influencer side. So for me, it was like the two coins of the same type of thing. And I really enjoy both aspects of the job. So of what I did. So for me, it was never like pressing that I, oh, I got to leave this job. So I cannot wait for my website to really grow to the potential that I wanted it to grow. When I did it, it was actually when it became really overwhelming, when I just couldn't handle both things. So I left my job in 2021. Okay. And you started the blog in 2013? I started the blog, I say 2014, because that's when I actually decided, okay, this is what I'm going to do. And I'm going to focus on it. And I'm going to start like growing it. So that was 2014. And in 2021 was when I decided I'm just going to go full time on this 
And also that was because I also got the cookbook deal. So I needed to work on the book. So that was going to require a lot more time. That's amazing. We literally are like on the same trajectory. I really started like intentionally designing Delicious Delights to become a Puerto Rican food blog in 2014. And I was able to quit my job in 2021 because of it. So it's like incredible how that timing works. But I think it also provides a really important perspective on like how long it takes to make this like a, a full-time thing. You know, the average full-time blogger has been working on their website for at least five years, consistently creating content, building their platform, increasing their rates before it becomes realistic for you to walk away. So like, if you think that blogging is going to be that overnight success, like it, I promise you it's not. And I would argue that it takes a lot more intentionality, especially nowadays, if you're starting in 2023 versus in the past, you know, you could be a lifestyle blogger where like people are just following you because they think you're cool or you dress a certain way or you like travel to cool places. I think the key, and uh, let me know if you disagree, is you have to be very niche in 2023 and beyond. I definitely agree. You have to be very niche and you have to be also very intentional. There's no way that you can make this into a business by just taking a few pictures, recording a little video and posting it online. That's not really going to get you anywhere. You have to be very intentional. You have to understand what you're doing. You have to understand how you're doing it and what's the purpose of it. You have to understand how to build a community. You have to understand how to monetize your community for you to intentionally be able to make money in this business. What I do see and, and, and what I have been feeling lately is like, and not lately, it, this has always happened. It's just happening at a way faster pace now is that there's a lot of changes happening. There's so many changes happening really quick and it's making it really hard for all of us to kind of like catch up. <laughs> yeah. Google's always changing their algorithm. Social media platforms are always changing their algorithm. You know, it's always something. There's always something, there's always something that you have to, and now with like AI and all of this stuff, the industry and everything, the the changes and the growth and all of that stuff, like it's moving too fast and sometimes it's hard to catch up. So for someone to do what we did, that is like keep our full-time job and grow it, it's going to take a little bit longer now because the industry is requiring so much more time and effort at a quicker pace for you to be able to grow substantially. Yeah. So that's that's what I've noticed lately. I totally agree with you. And I think one of the issues that I see in the world of blogging right now is that I think there's a lot of people who still don't understand why it's important to have as content creators. You know, the other day I'm watching this content creator in Lebanon, amazing, like 25 million followers on TikTok, 3 million subscribers on YouTube. And I go on her profile and she does not have a website. She's posting these videos of all these beautiful recipes. She has amassed millions of followers. And I'm like, what are you doing with the followers? Where can they go to contact you? Where can brands go to pitch you? Where the hell's your email address? And I think there's so many creators who are entering these spaces because they see TikTok and they see all these things and they're amassing huge followings but they don't have a home base on the internet. They're just building these brands on rented real estate. Why is that a problem? Because if Instagram tomorrow decides to close down or to do some weird shit like they do, excuse my language, all of it is gone. You have nothing. You have to understand that your Instagram account is not yours. It's Instagram's. 
and they can decide tomorrow to do whatever they please with it, whether you like it or not. And you can't really cry about it or complain about it because under terms and conditions, you agree to whatever. So whatever followers you have on there, you might have them now, but you really don't have anything until you actually are able to transition those people to your own platform, like a website, and then capture their emails for your own list. You don't have anything. You don't have a business. That could go away tomorrow. Absolutely. Those millions of followers are not going to mean anything. And I think another thing too, that's so important to realize, it's like when you have that viral moment, if there's no way to capitalize on that virality because you don't have an email list, because you don't have a website, because you don't have ads set up, like that's just money down the fucking drain. It means nothing. It means nothing. You're viral today and gone forgotten tomorrow. Yep. That's literally how it is. You need to have systems in place for you to be able to capture um, those people that for some reason, all of a sudden are connecting with whatever it is that you created today. Because just as quick as it's going to go viral, that same speed is just going to go down and it's going to die down and that's it. So you have to be able to understand how to capture them while you have them. And social media is great for that when you do those things, but how do you maintain that? There's no way for you to maintain virality. That's impossible. Well, I'm not going to say impossible because some people, I don't know. have Mr. Beast, maybe, but that's about it. (laughs) That's about it. Exactly. And that's because he's like gifting money here and everywhere. (laughs) Like, of course, if the guy's giving $10,000 every single video. But yeah, it's, it's very hard for you to create something viral every day or every time. So you have to understand you need to have a system in place for you to be able to capture that audience that for some reason is engaging with you. Because once they're gone, they're gone and then you don't have anything. Then what was the purpose? Right. Okay. Let's talk about monetizing. So what was that first dollar that you earned from your blog? How did you do it? I earned $125 on a sponsor post. Okay. And how did you pitch yourself or how did you secure that sponsored post? It was through a blogger network. So at the time, there were a bunch of blogger networks where it was community of bloggers and the network had clients as brands that will do campaigns and then they will pick from their pool of bloggers and hire them to create content to promote those brands. At the time when my blog was growing, when I was building my blog, because it was really small. I mean, when I got my first sponsor post, I had 10,000 page views a month on my website. But I made sure that I was creating quality content and and all of this stuff. And because my background is in marketing and PR, I sort of knew how to pitch my ideas and and I knew what brands, like I still know what brands look for when they are hiring someone to create content for, to promote and for for campaigns and stuff like that. So even though my website was really small, I knew how to pitch myself. And I did it through the blogger networks. And I used to then, after the first one, I was getting campaigns like every month because I made sure that I always created good content and and, and I did it understanding what the brands were looking for, right? Like I always came with that point of view as someone who worked in the industry. Yeah, that's exactly how I started too. I started joining what are called influencer marketing networks. And it's basically like a job board. So you sign up, you link your blog and your social media so that the brands can see your statistics around your traffic, around your followers. You tell them a little bit about who you are, what you do, what your blog niche is. And then 
you're basically getting like emails, alerts to things that are found to be relevant to your content. You can then pitch yourself, you pitch your idea, you pitch a rate if that's not already baked into the, that's called the brief. That's the description of whatever that work is that they want you to do. And if you get selected, then you're connected with the brand. They give you the due dates, what the deliverables are, where you have to post them, how many times, what hashtags, all the things. And it's a great way for folks who think that they're too small to like go out and pitch an individual company first to get comfortable with the idea of creating sponsored content. So you start to know the lingo and just that world because it is different. And I think people would be surprised like how much money micro blogs can make. I think a lot of people think, oh, if I don't have like 5 million readers a month, like nobody's going to pay me money. And I promise you that is absolutely not true. And social media followers are not even the biggest thing to be considered when uh, your brands are looking to work with you. It's really about that traffic coming into that blog that is going to give you that leverage. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Yeah, and you have a good follow on Instagram because or TikTok because right now a lot of brands really are focusing their dollars on Instagram marketing and, and TikTok and that area. Even if you have a somewhat smaller following, you can still make money. You can still make really good money because all you need really is an engaged community. You have more value for a brand that follows you and that like your content and that understands your message and all of that than someone who has 500,000 and gets three likes on their post. Yeah, <laughs> we all have seen those accounts. I can tell. Believe me, guys, we can tell. You bought these followers. It's very obvious. <laughs> very obvious. So yeah, you have a lot more value for a brand when you have a good engagement on your community than if you have like a lot of numbers and you can charge really well for that, especially like if you create really great content. Yeah. And I think it's also really important to like lean into the niche that is you. Whether that is you are Latina or you are a stay-at-home mom or you are, you know, a member of GLGBTQ community, like there's things that are inherent to you as a creator that cannot be washed away with like a niche. Like you can think to yourself, oh, well, there's enough food blogs. Why do I need to create one? Okay, but are there like a million food blogs about Persian cuisine or like, you know, cuisine from the state of Louisiana, from Creole country. So you have to think about like, how can I niche down beyond just that big umbrella, beyond the food or beyond the travel or beyond the fashion? How do you add that spin on it? Because believe it or not, the world of blogging, even though it's now been around for close to 15 plus years, it's still very white. And it's still very not diverse. And so when you can stand out from that cultural perspective, that actually equals more dollars and more leverage. It equals more dollars. It equals more leverage, but also it equals more benefit to you because the way that I see it overall, right? More benefit in the sense, like at the overall sense of how much you can actually grow. If you are very general, you're just going to fall into this big pool of 
everybody. But when you are able to niche down to a specific area, you have more access because you are speaking directly to a certain people. So all of those people are going to understand why your messaging is, who you are, what are you sharing, what are you offering them, and they're going to be able to connect with you better than if you're trying to just grab everybody. So you're going to build up a closer community, a more engaged community, a community that's going to be a fan, really. And like we already mentioned, that has more value for brands. So you can actually charge more with less than if you're just trying to grab from every branch and appeal to everyone. You don't want to appeal to everyone. You want to appeal to your people and speak directly to them. Yeah. Okay. So let's talk about that transition to full-time blogging as your career. What was the sign, I guess, that you could do this? Like, did you make a certain amount of money consistently and you were like, okay, I think I can continue to do this. Did you diversify your income streams? What did you do? Yeah, I I always diversify. I always try to diversify. Although the majority of my the revenue that I get from my business has always been with display ads on my website and brand partnerships. Besides that, you know, I did little freelance work with other things and affiliate marketing, which to me is exhausting because it requires a lot of time and the returns are not as high. So I don't like it that much. So I haven't put a lot of time and effort, but I did a little bit there. So that was how diversified my income was. I think in reality, if I'm honest with you, when I decided to leave my job, I just had full trust in myself that I could do it. I was not ready. I was not the person that decided to, oh, by this time, I'm going to save this much so that I can leave my job and not have to worry, or I'm going to pay all of my credit card debt and all of my student loans and save a year of save emergency funds so that I can like quit my job. I'm like, that's not going to happen fast enough for me. I was like, that's not going to happen fast enough for me. I'm not going to lie to you and say that I was 100% ready. I did not. It was just something that I said, you know what? I am done or I'm going to go crazy because I'm about to lose my mind and I'm about to write a cookbook. So I'm going to lose my mind three times. Something's got to give. And for me, it had to be the job because I had full trust in myself that whatever came my way, I could figure things out. I've always been the person that figured things out and I've never let myself down in that sense. So I just completely trusted myself and here we are. I figured it out. So I love it. <laughs> uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but you're married, correct? Not anymore. Okay, good. Good for you. Congratulations. I'm divorced now. <laughs> I'm the same time as you, girl. I'm like, I don't know what it is with you and me. But oh yes. my gosh, we are living like, parallel lives. It's insane. Yes. Okay. So, but at the time that you left, you were still married. Yes. Okay. So did you have conversations with your ex about what that's going to look like from a support perspective? Yes and no. For me, I feel like when I do stuff like that, it kind of like feels like I'm asking for permission and I've never been the person that asked for permission to do anything. So it was the conversation went like this. I'm going to do this. <laughs> Very typically Latina. <laughs> exactly. Uh, the conversation was, I'm going to do this. Things are going to get a little bit hard, but we'll figure it out. 
And the answer was, I get it. I support you. Do what you got to do. You know, besides anything or any situation that happened between me and, and him and him after, our relationship was always one of like, you support me, I support you. Like, it was never the thing of when one of us wanted to do something, the other one would be like, oh, but no, don't do that because this, because that. Like, that was never an issue. It was full trust in in the sense of like, we'll figure it out. So yeah, that's really what I did. I just told him, this is what's going to happen. And, and it was, I support you, let's make it work. I love that because at the end of the day, it really is your responsibility as the person with that dream to realize it, regardless of whatever anybody's opinion is of it. Like as long as you know, you're not like doing some reckless shit where you're like investing your life savings into some project without a backup plan, you know, you, you don't need anybody's permission. And so I'm glad that that, that was your approach. I don't know if it's a good or a bad thing, but I think it's, it's, always, great. it's always my approach with everything. I have a really hard time asking for permission because I'm my own grown ass woman. And when I say I'm going to do something, I just do it. That's it. I love it. Okay. So tell me about the book deal. How did that manifest? I'm going to tell you th that it was the easiest thing to come to bring to life. I don't want to say the easiest thing to bring to life, but the way in which the cookbook deal manifested or came to be was extremely easy and it had to be that way. Otherwise I was not going to do it because I had the idea for the cookbook since 2018. And for a long time, I never thought that I was the person to do it. I always thought that there was someone more qualified than me that had to do it. And I was waiting for that person to show up. I'm like, who's going to be the person that's going to write the Dominican cookbook? I can't wait to buy it. And then in 2020, I realized, well, no one is doing it. Why is no one doing it? And I started getting really frustrated. And then I had some encouragements from some of the colleagues and people that I used to work with at the time. After doing some research, we found that there were no cookbooks written by Afro-Latinas. We were doing research for a reason and we couldn't find any. And we were having a call like, uh, you know, the meeting. And we were discussing that. And then they all started, you should do it. Why don't you do it? And that kind of like planted that little seed, right? That maybe I could do it. Why not me? And I started researching, trying to find out, okay, what do I need to do to, to publish a cookbook? What do I need to do? I started doing research. I spoke with some blogger friends that had published cookbooks recently. One of them was so, so nice. She told me her whole process, how she did her proposal, how she went pitching for agents, how the agent then goes looking for a contract to a publisher and the whole process. And I was so overwhelmed. I'm like, oh my God, I'm going to have to do all of this. Like, this is insane, right? And then I talked to another blogger friend who literally just said to me, would you like me to put you in contact with my editor? Of course, I love that. So she put me in contact with her editor. I pitched the editor my idea over the email. She loved it. She said, can you get on a call right now? I say, yes, of course. We got on a call. She's like, I love you and I love your idea. I'm going to pitch you to my publisher. Then next week she called me. She was like, are you available for a call with my publisher and our marketing director? Yes. And then during the call, they said, we love you. We're going to send you a good deal. And I was like, oh my God, thank you so much. That's how I got the deal. It was just extremely, I say easy because I didn't have to go through the traditional process because I, I'm very aware that everybody who gets a cookbook deal doesn't happen the same way. And that most people have to find an agent and do this extensive and substantial proposal. And that sometimes, you know, a lot of publishers don't like it and they get denied and you have to keep, and sometimes you have to tweak it and change it and go back. And all of that 
type of stuff, I never have to go through that. I feel it was just something that it was meant to happen because it was time. Well, and I think it also speaks to the importance of just like having community. Like you wouldn't have even known who to reach out to if you hadn't been making those connections and building those relationships. And I don't think people place enough emphasis on like, it's not just about what you know, y'all. It's about who you know. Like who can you ask these fucking questions to? Because not everybody's out here publishing books. Yeah, it's, it's who you know is building relationships as well. Because I'm sure that had I not had the relationship that I had with my friend, she probably wouldn't even offer. So. Yeah, I think it's that. And then it's also, you know, if you don't have those people in your circle, expose yourself to ideas by listening to podcasts. I found my book coach by listening to podcasts and who then introduced me to my agent, who then introduced me to my publisher. So sometimes it's just about finding out who are the people in, this, in these rooms, who are the people in these spaces. And if I don't know them, let me offer to meet yeah, and reach out and like position and place yourself in the, in the places where these people are so that you get to know them. That's what I've been doing for years and putting myself in these groups and in these communities and meeting these people. Because a lot of times like we kind of like see them and put them on the pedestal because we see them so much higher than us, right? And at a place where we aspire to be. When in reality, these are normal people like you and me. We're just all normal people trying to figure life out, you know, and, and approaching someone in a genuine way. You'll be surprised how kind they can be, you know, and how open. I mean, we're all just trying to figure out life at the same time. So yep. don't be afraid to just show up as the person that you want to be. Absolutely. Okay, so you have this incredible cookbook. You are doing this full time. Like, what's next for my Dominican kitchen? Oh my God, I don't know. This year has been very weird because my brain has been, I want to say, a vacation trip. <laughs> my brain said, You just wrote a cookbook. <laughs> you need to relax before you start <laughs> making new goals, right? Yes. And I'm giving myself a little bit of time because. I think it can get very crazy and overwhelming if you finish a goal and then you start trying to build a new goal on top of that right away. So I'm giving myself a little bit of time and and then let's see what comes in 2024. You know, I'm still promoting this book. I'm still very excited about it, still putting it out there. People are still loving it. I mean, it, it was an Amazon bestseller the other day again. It's doing really well. But let's see what else is there. Maybe in 2024, we start working on a second one. Who knows? I don't know. Absolutely. We're putting that out there into the universe. <laughs> yes, we do. We need all the Latino cookbooks, all the everything. Um, we need to add diversity to these bookshelves, I want to say, because there's not enough out there. So my goal is not only for me to be creating this type of books, but also like open up the space and show so that other people can write their own, show that our communities do want these things. You know, I've always thought like there's a reason why there were no Dominican cookbooks in the market for the past like 20 years. And it's because publishers didn't think that people would buy them. And how you've proven them wrong. Exactly. Now we get to put them wrong to show them people actually do care and they actually do want it. So we want to see more diversity in the Hispanic cookbook bookshelves. I love that. For folks who want to find out more and cook some delicious comida dominicana, where can we find you? Tell us all the things. 
Yes, I am all over the internet. My website is mydominicankitchen.com. I am on Instagram as my.dominican.kitchen, TikTok, my Dominican kitchen, Facebook, my Dominican kitchen. I'm hanging out on Instagram a little bit more and then my website. So that's where folks can find me. Amazing. I am nice. I like connecting with people. So, and make sure that you pick up this book. Yes, the Dominican Kitchen is a traditional Dominican cookbook with all traditional Dominican recipes, more than 80 recipes. And you can find it at any store that sells books. And if they don't have it, you can tell them, we want this book here. Please order it, put it on your shelves and Amazon. It's so amazing to see like our cultural food just celebrated in this way in like these beautiful photos. I mean... It is not the 1950s text only weird ass cookbooks that like are completely irrelevant. This is a modern day cookbook for modern Latinos that want to make traditional food that celebrates our culture and heritage. So this is incredible work. Vanessa, congratulations. I hope this is the first of many books for you. I hope to see you one day on the Food Network and all the other things. Uh, congratulations on all your success. Thank you so much, Denise. I appreciate that. Thank you. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you are ready to take your dinero to the next level, sign up for our free 14-page guide, The Financially Lit Latina, the ultimate blueprint for becoming poderosa with your dinero. This 14-page guide includes our best tips on money mindset, budgeting, debt repayment, career, investing, financial independence, side hustles, and more. And you can get it completely free. So to get your copy of the Financially Lit Latina, just head over to YoQuieroDineroPodcast.com slash start and start transforming your dinero story today. Until next time, stay empowered, stay inspired, and stay poderosa. On the Yo Quiero Dinero podcast and associated entities, all information provided is for general information purposes only and does not constitute accounting, legal, tax, or other professional advice. Listeners should not act upon the content or information found here without first seeking appropriate advice from an accountant, financial planner, lawyer, or other professional. We assume no responsibility for information contained on this podcast and associated entities and disclaim all liability with respect to such information, including but not limited to any liability for errors, inaccuracies, omissions, or misleading or defamatory statements. Usage of this podcast and associated content constitutes an explicit understanding and acceptance of the terms of this disclaimer.